You're listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of South Crest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Well, another another time that we were traveling, it was about an hour, uh, t- hour travel time. Another time we were traveling, we, we got in the car at the hotel in the Uber car, and we're driving. And this morning was interesting because, first of all, the little suburb of Delhi where we were in India for 2018 was the most polluted city in the world. So when we went outside, we just tried to hold our breath, right? Um, it, was, it was pretty gross. So already the visibility was kind of bad. But for some reason, this particular morning that I'm speaking of, the fog was unreal, now, I grew up in North Florida where it's crazy humid all the time, and so the fog can get really bad. And we get that occasionally in Lubbock. But this was, I'm not exaggerating, standing here on the platform, I wouldn't, that, that morning, I couldn't see back where the sound booth is. It was that foggy. It was that bad. So we get in the car with this Uber driver, and we're, we're figuring as long as he takes it slow and stays on the right side of the road, no problem, right? Well, the further we get out, kind of into the country where we're going out to the place where we're teaching all these pastors, the more aggressive he's getting. But the problem is his aggression is rising, but the fog is not decreasing. (laughs) It's staying the same. And it gets to the point, well, first of all, on that trip, um, at one point, I guess this guy driving a huge like backhoe trailer or a tractor didn't see us and swung out the, I don't know what you call it, the big like claw end. Anybody know what that's called? Anyways, swung that out and I really thought it was gonna, I thought Dr. Edwards' head was gonna get cut off by this tractor. Thank God it it didn't. Um, It'd been really hard to teach without a head. And so anyways, we, we dodged that, but it gets to the point where as we're driving, he, our, our driver for some reason, like I say, he's getting aggressive and he decides it would be a good idea to try to pass the slow vehicles that, in our, that are, are in our lane. So to pass them, he's going into oncoming traffic, though he can't see from here to the sound booth back there. And we're doing about, I don't know what it was in kilometers, we're doing about 50 miles an hour. And so we could tell he's like wanting to do this. He's kind of looking, and he's, we're in this little, we're all crammed in this little tiny car, and it's one of those meep, meep, horns. I'm like, bro, no one can hear your horn, right? Meep, 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 meep. And so he, sure enough, eventually, leaves our lane and goes into oncoming traffic. That's what the engine sounded like and the horn sounded like. So we're all like, all of us are, he didn't understand English, so we weren't being completely rude. All of us out loud, all the Americans are going, this is it, we're gonna die. Like if I'd had cell phone service, I would've called Lauren and been like, you're gonna hear me die. Like it was that bad. And I was, make it worse, I was sitting in the, in the back seat, in the middle seat, there's no seat belt. So I'm thinking, okay, I could just, like just embrace it, just like suck it in and just go through the windshield and just embrace death and embrace heaven. Or I could cram my knees, wedge my knees in between the front seats and just have my knees up on my neck the rest of my life. Look like I've been working out a lot. You know what I'm saying? I have like big old neck up here. Um, I chose just to embrace death. But thank God I didn't have to embrace death. <laughs> and what was funny is in that moment, all of us were praying like, out loud. It was kind of a little bit sarcastic, but kind of like, Oh God, uh, you see what's happening right now? Could you please keep us safe? Our driver just, <laughs> it's funny the moments that'll make you pray, right? And, and really make everyone pray. It's funny how we can go from not praying at all to all of a sudden feeling really compelled and inspired to pray. Very, very heartfelt, genuine prayers. But even though that's true, 
I feel like, if I'm honest, there's times in my life where, where I don't necessarily believe in prayer. Like, if, if you looked at my life and the habit of my life and maybe the, the rhythm of my life, you could probably make a case, I'm not sure Brandon always believes in prayer. One dude who definitely did was a guy named Abraham. We mentioned him last week, but Abraham, I told y'all, I told y'all to turn to Genesis 18, and I didn't turn to Genesis 18, I'm sorry. <laughs> but Abraham believed in the power of prayer. If you remember, I mentioned this last week. In Genesis chapter 12, God chose Abraham to really to be a blessing. He said, I'm going to bless you so that you can what? Do you remember? To be a blessing to the nations, right? I'm gonna bless Abraham to be a blessing to all people. So he called out Abraham, made a covenant with him, Really amazing thing, and he says, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you not because of who you are or what you've done, I'm gonna bless you just because of who I am. So God has a special relationship with Abraham. At that time, it was Abram. Eventually, becomes Abraham. And in Genesis 18, we see that, it, again, kind of crazy story, but God and two angels who, at least from what, the way Abraham describes, in this moment, at least put on the appearance of just regular men, showed up at his tent doorstep if they had a doorstep. We're not gonna read this, but in the beginning of chapter 18, um, it says that God and these two, these two angels show up, and so immediately Abraham gets up and he's like, can I get you all a meal, what can I do? Hello, glad you're here. Like he's, which, what would you do if God and two angels showed up at your house? You might do the same thing, right? So super excited to see them. They have this conversation uh, about some future things God's going to do, but I think this story that we're gonna look at tonight really starts in, in verse 16. So they've been having this conversation, uh, God and these two angels. And by the way, if you're like me and you're sometimes skeptical and you're going, well, how did Abraham see God without just dying? Because no one can like, look at God because he's holy and, he's, and we're sinful and all these things. Somehow in this instance, God, I guess, kind of put a, um, he somehow kind of blocked his majesty and glory from being completely seen so that Abraham could have a conversation with him. You say, how does that happen? I don't know, God's God, he's all powerful, he can do whatever he wants, right? I don't understand everything of how this works. But he shows up to have this conversation with Abraham. So in verse, I'm just gonna summarize this, but in verses 16 through 21, God and these two angels, are again, who look like men, are fixing to get up and go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And as they're fixing to leave, God says, I think I'm gonna tell Abraham what I'm about to do. And so he tells Abraham, hey, what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah is, is really sinful, it's really sick, and we're gonna go down there and see if it's as bad as we think it is, and if it is, we're gonna destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, it, it, it kind of, it's almost like you hear the conversation in God's head of him saying, now I've got a special relationship with Abraham, I'm gonna use him to bless all the nations, I'm gonna tell Abraham what I'm gonna do, and he tells him, hey, I'm gonna, we're gonna go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, if it's as bad as we think it is, we're going to destroy it. So the text says that the two angels, two, who appear to be two men, go on to Sodom and Gomorrah, but Abraham stays there standing before the Lord. Look at verse 22. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Kind of a cool concept, right? <laughs> think Abraham is just literally standing there before the Lord. I think it's worth pointing out before we read their interaction together. Um, to some of us, the idea of 
even just the idea of God telling Abraham, hey, what they're doing there is really sinful, is really messed up, I'm, we're gonna go destroy it if it's as bad as we think it is, is a little bit jarring, right? A little bit shocking. Our generation, me included, we love the idea of God's love, but I think we kind of get a little uneasy about the idea of God's justice. Would you agree with that? I think the problem is we forget that the message of the cross, it is, I guess you could argue it's primarily a message of love, but we forget that the message of the cross is also that God takes sin really seriously. I think we're prone to want like happy Jesus, forgiving Jesus, but not realize that he's a holy God and he takes sin really seriously. So that's why he tells Abraham this. And now Abraham, I think, maybe wrestling with the mercy of God and the justice of God is standing before God and listen to this conversation he has. Abraham drew near, and I'm in verse 23. Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Come on. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spirit for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Let me ask you, is, is Abraham accusing God of being unjust? I don't think he's accusing of being, you're unjust. I think he's playing on what he knows to be true. God, you're just, come on. I know you're not gonna do that. Does that make sense? I don't think he's saying you're unjust, you wicked God. No, <laughs> that wouldn't go real well probably. No, I think he's saying, God, come on, I know you're just. Well, even if you just find 50, maybe you could spare the city. In verse 26, the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. So he's like, I'm gonna give this another go. <laughs> Suppose five of the 50 are lacking. We destroy the whole city for lack of five? And God said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I won't destroy it. Then he said, oh, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak again, but this one more time. Suppose 10 are found there, 10 righteous people. God answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So Abraham's begging God, God, I know you're a just God. I know you're a good God. You're a righteous God. If you, if you can even just find 10 people there, please don't destroy the city. It's interesting. I think Abraham really, he cared about these people. A little side note here for us. They're wicked, they're messed up. Abraham knows it. Earlier in Genesis, I think chapter 14, it, it had already talked about how evil Sodom and Gomorrah was. Abraham knows this, and rather than what most um, Christians, quote, and our culture do today, we're like, those people, they're gonna, they're gonna get what they deserve. They deserve hell. Abraham's saying, God, please be merciful. Please, please, maybe show them grace. He cared about people. Beyond that, did 
Do you think Abraham, or let me say it this way, was there a particular person or family in Sodom and Gomorrah that caused Abraham to have a special concern for it? Who? Lot, yeah, Lot was his nephew. So Abraham knew his, his nephew and, and his nephew's family was there in Sodom and Gomorrah. So he even has a little extra concern for God. Please, if you could even just find 10, which I think that's probably about the number that Abraham was suspecting, like that's Lot and his family. Please, God, if you even find 10, just spare the city. And God says, okay, I'll do it. Which has gotta make you wonder, at least it makes me wonder, does God really change what he's gonna do based on the prayer of one man? Like, does, did Abraham's prayer really influence God's decision or, or make any difference? If you look in, chapter, starting in chapter 19, it says the angels went to Sodom, and when they get to Sodom, Lot, Abraham's nephew, was sitting at the city gate. And so he gets up, and he's, he again immediately recognizes, like Abraham, hey, this, these men are special. These are not just men. These are angels. Something's going on here. So he greets them. He bows himself to the ground, and he says, hey, I'm glad y'all are here. Why don't y'all come and stay at my house? And the two angels said, if you, this is in verses one through three, the angels said, no, we'll just stay in the city square and Lot pushes back a little bit more and he says, no, really, you should definitely come to my house. You don't need to stay outside. You should definitely come to my house. Verse four. In verse three, it says they ate and all that good stuff. But verse four, it says, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house and they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. If you're, if you're newer to the Bible, we may know them is a very polite way of saying we wanna have sex with them. Kind of a messed up scene, right? Two guys show up to town go to Lot's house, and all the men of the city, having seen these two men come in to Lot's house, surround the house, knock on the door and say, hey, Lot, bring those two guys out. We're gonna rape them. That's, I mean, you can say that. No, it didn't say rape. Like, that's, I don't know what else that is than that. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? I wanna stop just for a second. You could jump through hoops, you could try to explain things away, but I feel like just a face value reading of the text, it's describing homosexuality, right? And not in a good light, if you just read the, keep reading the text and why, what God does to Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, but I actually don't think that this passage, I don't think the point of this passage is just to come down hard on homosexuals. I don't think that's the point at all. Actually, none of the point of the Bible is just to throw fire at homosexuals, not at all. Partly because, the way I would argue that, if, if it was to, let's flip the script. If it was two women who had come into Lot's house and the men of the city, every single one of them, young and old, gathered around the house and said, Lot, bring those two girls out so we can have sex with them, would we go, oh, that's okay? No, <laughs> definitely not. Are y'all tracking with me? Y'all are a little tense. <laughs> I am too, it's okay. <laughs> I told Lauren last night, I, said, Man, I picked Genesis, this is a hard book to preach. 
So just in case you're wondering, um, again, I don't think the point of this is like, while this, ser- or this passage in this sermon talks about homosexuality, I don't think that's the point. So I'm not gonna, we're not gonna keep talking about that. But let's be real, this is a, maybe you could almost, unfortunately, start to say past tense. But this is, the idea of gender, homosexuality is a pretty big topic these days, right? <laughs> Am I right? You're being super quiet tonight. <laughs> um, so what we're gonna do on the 28th, that's not this Sunday, but the next at 5 p.m., we're gonna have um, kind of an open discussion about that. Let me clarify, when I say open discussion, I'm gonna talk about what the Bible says about it, but then we're gonna have space for questions because I don't wanna just preach to you about that. I want us to be able to have a conversation. Look at what the Bible says, but then have a conversation about it. And so, man, I hope that you'll, even now, if, you, if, you, or if you're gonna forget, pull out your phone or whatever. If you're old school like my wife, you can pull it out in your little calendar and write it down. But I would love for y'all to come hang out with us because I think we need to know what the Bible says, but also know how to address it because I would like to publicly say that the church, not just Southcrest, churches in general, have done a really terrible job of addressing this subject, like really bad. I think that's probably why we're in the mess we're in. Um, I'm not saying I'm gonna do a great job of it, but I'm hoping that we can look at what the Bible says and not just get opinion or even political, but just look at what the Bible says and how we should change. And so um, that'll be on the 28th. But whatever the case, (laughs) this is a pretty messed up situation in Sodom and Gomorrah. Actually gets worse. Listen to this. Verse six. So these men are around the house. Bring these men out. We want to know them. We want to have sex with them. Lot, who's supposed to be a good guy, right, went out to the men at the entrance. She slides out the door, shut the door behind him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, don't act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Isn't that awful? Like, that's why I get, so when, when we, and I, like, historically in my life in the past, have maybe only viewed this passage as about homosexuality, but that's really messed up, especially as a new father. Like, that makes me want to go punch Lot in the face and some other places, too. Like, what in the world? What would possess a man to come out and say, hey, hey, gentlemen, he didn't say gentlemen, but guys, hey, leave these two alone. I've got two daughters who are virgins. Do whatever you want with them. Oh, my, like, Oh my gosh, this is sick. I'm kind of starting to understand, well, maybe God is not so happy with Sodom and Gomorrah. (laughs) This is awful. Verse nine, but they said, stand back. This fellow came to sojourn, he's just been passing through, and he has become the judge. Now we we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break the door down. So again, this is, that's why I say this is not just a sweet little, oh, we want to know them. No, this is, this, this is violent crime. We're gonna break the door down, we're gonna come in and we're gonna rape these men. 
But the men, the angels, verse 10, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. So the angels strike them with blindness and they're so bent, they're so depraved and set on raping these men, they still in their blindness are trying to find the door. I don't, like, I, I get when we talk about, we're worried about America and stuff, like I am too, but people are like, it's never been worse. I'm like, I feel like that was a little worse. Like, that was pretty bad. <laughs> then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else, son and, sons-in-law, sons, I'm oh, sorry, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy this city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be joking. A lot of commentators, and I agree, say that his, it, it seems like his son-in-laws were out, like part of the group outside of the house. <laughs> and they think, Lot, you're just being a fool. You're just joking. As morning dawned, the angel urged Lot, saying, get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him, again the angels, not the crazy group outside. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. What? So what's, help me out here for a second, what's going on? What's going on with the angels and Lot? Yeah, they're, yeah. They're fixing to save him. Let's think for a second. What was Abraham's, what did he pray? Again, it was more of a very real conversation, but prayer is a conversation. What did he pray to God? What was the, like, almost the deal they, they reached in the prayer? If you find 10 people, you won't destroy the city. So that would imply if you can't find 10 people, you won't destroy the city. <coughs> so why in the world is he saving Lot, his family? That wasn't part of the agreement, right? Does Lot seem very righteous to you? I don't think so. In the New Testament, at one point, and I think it's in Peter, it describes Lot, and I think it gives a very specific, sorry, describes Lot as a righteous man. I think it gives a very specific reason. But in this particular story, he's not seeming so righteous, not at all. And these angels are fixing to save Lot and his family. I, I don't, God's not bound to that. It makes, like it legit makes me wonder, like why, why is God going out of his way to save Lot and his family. Pick it up in verse 17. As they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I can't escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to and is a little one. Let me escape there. It, is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, the angel speaking to Lot, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of that city was called Zoar, which is, means little. 
The sun had risen, uh, yeah, verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. By the way, you can go to Israel today. They actually, a lot of scholars there and archaeologists um, feel like they've actually found where Sodom and Gomorrah was. Katie Ritchie's, Emily Ritchie's dad actually, I think he wasn't supposed to, but I think he even brought home a piece of sulfur that's like in the earth where there's this, there's a particular place near the Dead Sea where they, even if you're in your Bible map, if you look up Sodom and Gomorrah, you'll see it's near the Dead Sea. There's a place near the Dead Sea where there's this really unbelievable amount of sulfur that's kind of packed into the earth. And a lot of scholars think that's actually where it happened, which is super cool. (laughs) So as much as you may feel like, man, it seems like it's made up. It's not made up. Lord rained down sulfur and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 25. He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Now, Lot's wife, behind him, she didn't listen to the angel so well. She looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And I think, I used to think of it as like she's running, she looks back, and she just like turns into this pillar of salt. I think the implication actually makes more sense is that she hesitated, she looked back, and she ends up being hit, destroyed by the sulfur falling from the earth. That maybe doesn't really make a difference, but I don't think it's that she froze in time. I think it's that she hesitated and didn't listen and ended up experiencing the same judgment. I know, me included, we all tend towards mercy, grace, love. But when you think about the fact that this was just one simple night when two guests showed up to Sodom and Gomorrah and the craziness that happened, it was just one quick little maybe few hour glimpse into Sodom and Gomorrah, you think just maybe that God was justified in bringing judgment and destroying on Sodom and Gomorrah? I think so. I mean, God can do whatever he wants, but I don't think he's just being crazy angry. I think, I think it's pretty fair. <laughs> but again, it still troubles me. Why go through the trouble? Again, he didn't. There was no agreement between God and Abraham that said you had to save Lot and sure doesn't seem like there were 10 people that were righteous there. Actually, the text makes it very clear. There weren't 10 people that were righteous. Maybe there was no one righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah. So why go through the trouble of even saving Lot and his family? I think the verses in 20, uh, the answer is in verse 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. (laughs) God remembered Abraham, remembered the conversation, the prayer time, you could say, from chapter 18. What in the world? (laughs) Abraham's prayer with God, at least in in this instance, actually did something. God was not bound by any sort of agreement or promise to save Lot, but he apparently heard Abraham's heart, his prayer, and saved Lot, even though Lot did not deserve it, right? Nothing about Lot deserved mercy or grace, but God showed it to him because of Abraham. Abraham's prayer, you could say, changed this man, even his family's life. 
right? One simple time of prayer gave this family a second chance at life. I think there's a super, I think that's really the truth of this passage, though it's often overlooked because we get caught up in our cultural argument about homosexuality. But I think if we should keep chapter 18 and chapter 19 together, I think there's a really cool truth for us today that God's saying. He not only hears our prayers, he actually acts upon our prayers. <laughs> to use Jonathan's word, that's freaking cool. <laughs> think about that. God not only hears your prayers, he does something about it. What happens when you pray for other people? God works your prayers into his master plan. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> They're not just empty words, just little chit-chat with God. No, God actually does something about your prayers. And you say, well, God is sovereign. And I say, yes, I agree. God sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Yes, I agree. How does that work? I don't know, but somehow your prayers actually matter. You know, when I, I feel like I studied this passage for the first, I'd read it and studied it several times, but this time I felt like it was, I was seeing it with fresh eyes for the first time of not disconnecting Abraham's prayer from what happened, which is really dumb, right? Like if someone came in and told you this story about how you're praying and praying and praying and didn't tell you how it turned out, you'd be like, dude, finish the story, right? So I think we can't disconnect them. And when I saw it for the first time, God actually worked Abraham's heartfelt prayers into his plan, it got me really excited and also really convicted, you know why? I don't know that I always believe God. My life would show you I don't pray very much. I think it's because if I'm honest, again, I wouldn't normally say it, but if I like, reflect a little bit, think about my life, I think it's because I don't always believe that God actually does something with prayer. What if we actually believed that your prayers did something? <laughs> John Piper says, some things wouldn't happen or wouldn't have happened the way they did if we didn't pray. <laughs> prayer actually does something. And it's funny because I forget that and I don't always like live my life like it's true, but the reality is I know it's true. I've seen it to be true. Some of y'all have told me of examples in your life. For example, when Lauren and I had, uh, some of y'all heard this story at least in some parts, but when Lauren and I had our kids, by the way, Lauren and I married eight years today, let's go. Anyways, um, <laughs> But when we had our kids, Haddon was in the ICU for a little bit, and Lauren, she had help syndrome, so she really wasn't doing good. It wasn't like the worst thing ever, but when the nurses and the doctors at the hospital are like t pulling me aside and saying, we're kind of worried about her, I'm going, uh, well, now I'm worried, bro. Like, what's going on? And so I remember Sunday morning, we had the kids, we, she had the kids on Friday. Just slapped me around later. Um, she had the kids on Friday, and that's, that Sunday morning, I was, I was just very frustrated with God and I've been praying and um, was like, man, I, I need more people praying because nothing's happening. And so I texted Pastor Dave and I said, hey, I don't want to make this Sunday morning about us, but could you ask the whole church to pray? I think I even texted whoever was hosting the venue that day, but I said, hey, would you ask the church to pray specifically that Lauren would get better and that Adam would get out of the ICU and that we would see a, a significant swing? And so... I had people texting me, telling me they were praying, texting Lauren, of course she wasn't paying attention to her phone, but texting us, telling us they were praying. Monday morning, super early on Monday morning, the doctor comes in, looks at Lauren, looks at all her numbers, she's like, man, you made a huge ship last night. I don't know what happened. I'm like, I don't know what happened, bro. <laughs> and then the ICU nurse comes up and she's like, hey, Haddon's doing great. We're gonna go ahead and bring him up today instead of tomorrow, he's looking good. I'm like, let's go! Because <laughs> prayer works. <laughs> 
God responds. Man, my bro Aaron back there, I, by the way, these stories I'm about to share, I can't share all of the ones that I've heard, but I've, okay, I've got the okay to share these, but Aaron's been praying for a guy that works with him named Troy for a really long time. Troy was at church on, sorry, praying for his salvation. Troy was on church on Sunday, at church on Sunday, and stood right there and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Let's go. <laughs> Prayer works. Man, my buddy Matt Jones over here, he, uh, military, big army guy, let's go army. Anyways, I don't know why I'm being all weird all of a sudden. But, um, he was telling me that there was a, I'm probably not saying these words right, forgive me, but a, a lady in, that was kind of under your care in the army and her and uh, her husband were going through a really hard time, pregnant, right, fixing to get a divorce. So him and his connect group right over there in this church started praying for this couple. God may help them to get back together. Texted me on uh, yesterday, said that they're, just bought a house together and they're staying together. That's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Man, Miss Kaylee Spears, what is up, girl? She's awesome. I don't know if y'all know, Kaylee has some pretty serious, like she's super sweet and tough and so you don't always see this about her or know it about her, but she has legit serious chronic pain, like it's, it's pretty debilitating. And so, how long you been struggling with this, Kaylee? Four years, praying, praying, asking God to do something. And she's been tra- she would have to travel up to Rhode Island, which is not a hop, skip, and a jump from Lubbock, if you didn't know, but travel to Rhode Island to get treatment for this, uh, this machine that would help alleviate pain, right, and kind of give you some, maybe a couple months to breathe a little bit. But traveling to Rhode Island from Lubbock and paying for those treatments is not cheap <laughs> or easy, kind of can't live, have a life that way. So they began to pray and pray, didn't know what God would do, but pray that God would somehow either provide healing or provide a way to alleviate the pain, do something Did y'all know that now, as of like January, I think it is, the machine that she could only go to in Rhode Island, there's now that same machine, same technology, is in Lubbock, Texas, but not just in Lubbock, it's five minutes from her house, and she gets treatments for free. Chick. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Prayer works. Oh, yeah. And then my friend Deb over here, she was telling me she had... uh, Oh, I said a friend, it was not a friend. <laughs> there was a guy in high school, that incredibly bright guy, one of the top in their class, but was very antagonistic towards Christianity and towards her faith, like her particularly. So she prayed for him in high school, but she, she was very honest yesterday and said, sometimes I didn't pray for that fool because uh, <laughs> kind of drove me crazy. Um, and so I think it was either summer or Christmas break, he, he texted her and said he had some questions about Christianity, about faith, so she began to pray, but it still seemed very vague, like maybe, maybe he's just gonna be antagonistic again and just wants to roast her, but she began to pray, and they met up, and she could not believe where he was. It wasn't antagonistic, it wasn't just questions. The dude was like super close to belief, so she'd go, all of a sudden she's going, man, God is doing something in his life. So she began to pray more and more and more. And now he's up at the University of Columbia studying philosophy. He is a strong believer in Jesus Christ and is growing in leaps and bounds. And how cool is that? And that's just like, we could probably all stand up and share a story. So when I hear stories like that, I'm like, bro, why am I not praying more? Like, that's dumb. What a waste not to pray, because when I pray, God works my prayers into his master plan. So why don't I pray more? Let's be honest, we don't, I think one of the reasons is we, we get frustrated, we don't see results. You're not always gonna see results right away. I kind of skipped over this a second ago, but in chapter 19, verses 27 through 28, it says that Abraham, uh, the morning after that 
God rained sulfur and fire from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah. He went out and he looked, I, I think, we're not positive, but it seems like he probably looked down across the Dead Sea, really long ways, sees the sulfur and fire and is like, well, I guess God couldn't find 10 people that were righteous and I guess our prayers didn't matter. Because there was no way he would have known there was no cell phones then, not that we're aware of. But there was no way for him to know right away that God had rescued Lot and his family. Eventually, I have no doubt he found out. But I think it's fair to say that at least for a few days, Abraham felt like his prayers didn't make a difference when they absolutely did. Here's the reality. Just because I don't see the results doesn't mean God didn't do anything. So don't get, we don't need to get discouraged. We don't see the results. It doesn't mean God isn't doing something. I, I want to real quick, I, I know I'm kind of out of time. I want to real quick um, give us a few ways to dig into prayer a little bit more. I, I think, again, it, it's easy to make the excuse of, I'm busy, uh, I don't have time. I think a lot of it is we've just not been thoughtful and intentional about prayer, so it's not a priority. I think about uh, what Charles Spurgeon said. He asked the question. Let me just read it so I don't butcher it. Um, He said, many hours are spent with men. How many with your maker? (laughs) Which is like, dang, bro. He's always up to like face punch quote. But yeah, he says, look, we're we're busy. We spend a lot of time with people. But what if you got intentional about spending time with your maker? And so I want to give you real quick six things that we're going to have on the screen that I think could help you dig into prayer a little bit more. So here's the first one, if we have those. Yes, perfect. Keep a list of what you're praying about. For some of y'all, it seems so like, duh, bro. But here's the reality. How many times have has someone poured out their heart, like in your connect group or your trail team or just in a conversation, you're like, dude, I'm gonna be praying for you. And no lie, like two hours later, you're like, crap, what was that? You know what I'm talking about? Or you forget their name. So keep a list of what you're praying about. It's hard to be intentional and focused about prayer if you have no idea what it is. So keep a list of what you're praying about. And, oh, let's go back. Just number two. Sorry. Say, oh, oh, hey, wow. Huh. <laughs> it's all right. No, I don't have it on. I'll go ahead and tell you. No, perfect. Number two, have a way to record progress and results. Y'all, that's one of the biggest things you can do. Because if you just have a list of prayer, but you never make a note, go back and like point out what God actually did, it's gonna be hard to get excited about prayer. So keep, uh, have a way to record progress and results. And just a couple ideas on that to help you do that. Um, maybe that's, we've talked about this before, maybe that's using an app called Echo. I love this. On Echo, it's an app, literally it's called Echo. You can, uh, I don't know if there's, it's like a joke, like I echo the echo of his prayer. Anyways, but <laughs> um, there's a dumb video about that. But on the Echo app, you can have a prayer request and you can, there's so many cool things you can do. You can set reminders if you want to pray every day, like at a certain time, you can set a reminder for it. But on the Echo app, you can mark it as answered and it doesn't delete it. So you could go back every month or every week or every year and look at all the cool things God has done. So really cool app. My wife, she just keeps a journal. As she's gone through so many because she's like super prayer warrior. I normally distract her in the mornings and I hate that because she's trying to pray and I'm being an idiot. But anyways, she has this prayer journal where she'll, uh, write the prayer request, and then she goes back and she'll follow. Some of y'all know, you know some of your girls know, she'll text you later and be like, hey, what's going on with that? Has, has God answered that? What's God doing? And she'll go back and write down what God did or what God's doing. Or if he hasn't answered yet, she'll say, like, keep praying. So keep a journal of it. Sometimes for a while, I was doing it on my phone. I just would use the notes app on my iPhone and would write the request. And then as I find out the answer to it, I would just go back and write what God did. Man, keep a record of it. Number three, 
think our laptop, there, there we go. Pray specific prayers. This is, this is kind of common sense. If you don't pray specifically, it's gonna be hard to keep track of what God's doing. So if every day your prayer life is just like, God, just, I want today to be awesome and show people grace. <laughs> it's hard to measure that, right? So be specific. We're gonna keep moving. Number four, tell people about the things you experience God do through prayer. Tell people about the things you experience God do through prayer. Why would, why would I say that? Why would I encourage you to do that? What? Yes, it encourages others. It builds momentum, right? Don't you, when you tell somebody something God's done, even though you already know it, doesn't it kind of get you fired up when you see their response? You're like, yeah, that is exciting. It builds encouragement, absolutely. So tell them about the things you're experiencing God do. And I would say it builds a memory. When you tell someone about it, it sticks in your brain where you're gonna remember that. I was thinking about it. So another idea, uh, I've not done a great job of this, but I have a little, it's a little more special. It's like, what I mean is, it's like nice leather, so I want it to last a long time. But I have a little notebook that I have in, at my house that like big things that I see God do, I'm writing down because my kids get like, old enough to comprehend what I'm saying. Not just da, da, da. But when I can actually get it, I want to be able to tell them, not just cliche, I've seen God do so many things. I feel like it would be very fair of them to say, like what, Dad? I want to be like, let me tell you what. <laughs> not just generically, let me tell you, hey, on April 16th, 2019, here's what God did. I wanna be able to give them specific things. So if you tell people about it, it builds that memory. Number five, I would encourage you to pray scripture. I don't have time to go into all that, but pray scripture. So that means look for prayers in the Bible. If you're like, I don't know where they're at. Literally, you could Google um, prayers in the Bible and you're gonna find stuff and use those prayers to guide your prayer life or maybe even just pray the words of scripture. Psalms are great for that. One more, number six, look for prayer space in your schedule. Look for prayer space in your schedule. So many of us, I get it, we say we're busy, I don't have time. First of all, I would encourage you to carve out specific time, but second of all, you have time. One of my mentors, Dr. Edwards, he jokes, he says, every car comes with a prayer and meditation button, and everybody's always like, really, what is that? The prayer and meditation button is to turn off your music or whatever you're listening to. I'm not against that, I listen to music all the time, <laughs> but when you're driving, when you're walking to class, you have time to talk with God. I think we're, we are busy, I get that, but we probably have more time to pray than we realize. We just don't think about it or we forget that it actually does matter, it actually makes a difference. Last thing, I know I'm going along, but y'all are hanging with me, last thing. Did Jesus ever talk about prayer? Yes. <laughs> you don't have to turn there. But if you want to, it's Luke 11. I'm gonna go ahead and dive in because I wanna keep moving. Luke 11, chapter five. This is super cool. We're, like, we're gonna finish with this. And this is not a new thought. This is not a new idea. This is just trying to convince us to pray, myself included. <laughs> he said to them, which of you has a friend, excuse me, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have, journey, shout out, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Saying, no, no one's not gonna do that. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. 
So just to think, it, the ESV is not super clear there, I don't think. But he's saying, the person's not gonna get, when, so if, if I go to Q1's door, if I, I say Q1's name in every sermon, by the way, but if I go to Q1's door, it's because where you sit. If I come to Q1's door and knock on the door in the middle of the night to ask for something, it's saying, Q1's not gonna get up and give me something because I'm his friend. He's gonna get up and give me something because if Brandon is coming to my door at 3 a.m. and knocking loud and begging for something, it must be serious. The boy has no shame. That's what impudent means. No shame in their crazy actions. That's a little bit Behay's translation. But like, I know I'm acting like a fool and I don't even care. I need your help. He's saying that's why he'll get up and help him. Verse nine, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a snake? <laughs> if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, dang, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So first of all, talking about the Holy Spirit, don't wanna take this out of context, but he's absolutely also talking about prayer. Man, if if, if we know how to give good gifts and respond to people who won't quit begging and asking for help, doesn't God do that? So here's the question. What have we not seen done in our lives or the lives of others, the people that we care about, because we simply haven't asked? How different might your life look, might your family look, might your world look, if we just started asking God and didn't give up? What if we were kind of, said, you know what, I'm not gonna be shamed. I'm gonna get a little crazy. I'm gonna ask God over and over and over again. I'm gonna throw some rocks at his window. I'm gonna get a sledgehammer and bang on his door because I'm gonna expect God to move because I believe that God works my prayers into his master plan and he's gonna do something. And what if this group, what if the journey started praying? Not just like, God, I hope it to be a good day. What if we started praying? Then we might see what happened in Acts happen. <laughs> God is a merciful God who wants to respond to our prayers. So maybe an appropriate way before we sing one last song, let's just pray for a second. I don't know what's on your heart. I don't know what's on your mind. Maybe you need to pray for a lost person. Maybe you need to pray. The list could be a billion, so I'm not gonna go through that. But let's just take a few minutes, a few moments just to pray. If you're like, hey, I don't pray, that's okay. I wanna pray for you right now. The simplest and the most effective way to change the world may be just to pray. What hasn't happened because you haven't asked? Let's ask them. How cool <laughs> that God, even right now, is weaving your prayers into his master plan. Thanks for listening to The Journey Podcast. You can learn more about The Journey by checking us out on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for at the journey LBK.